The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City. Hello, my name is Bria Angelo, and I have been attending. Hello, thank you. <laughs> Um, I've been attending Story City for about a year and a half now, and I serve in the children's ministry. And today I will be uh, have the honor of doing our scripture reading, which is Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 44. So if you will stand with me for the reading of God's word. As he was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that he did not first perform the ritual washing before dinner. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Fools! Didn't he who made the outside make the inside too? But give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees! You give a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees. You love the front seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you. You are like unmarked graves. The people who walk over them don't know it. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, family. Good to see you guys. Happy Thanksgiving. You all survived so far the season of navigating interpersonal relationships. You've survived family, in-laws, or each other, so congratulations. You only have another month or so to go, so good good job. Welcome. We're glad to have you here. My name is Jared. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here, and uh, it is always, always fun. I'm telling you guys, it's fun. To, to be able to be a part of this congregation with you guys. I am, uh, there's little things that just make me so proud to be a part of the church, like how you welcome everybody that comes up on stage who's serving you in the mornings, the way that you guys are gracious to the people who greet you. It's just nice to know that, uh, that we have a church that is as kind to each other and kind to visitors and kind to those who serve as can be. So I, I just appreciate being a part of that. We are committed to planting churches. That's part of what Story City is all about. That we believe that, uh, that it's a great evangelistic tool to, to help bring people in to the kingdom of God. Now listen, we don't bring people into the kingdom of God to save them from hell. Do you know that? We bring people into the kingdom of God because they get Jesus. That is, yes, knowing Jesus saves us from hell, but that's not the point. There's so much more to life when we have Jesus. That is the point. And we know that churches are God's primary tool for doing that. So why would we not continue to plant more churches, but not just churches, healthy churches, churches that know, love, and serve their neighbors well. That's what we want to do, and so we want to continue to do that. We say that we exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and others. That's a part of that church planting effort. If you've been around here any length of time, you know that word healthy is crucial for us. It's an imperative for us, healthy, not just relationships, but healthy relationships. Guess what? That means it's going to be messy. We are a church. We're filled with broken people. That means it's going to be a long-term process, but one that we are committed to walking to together, both with each other and with the communities that we serve. And so I want to take a moment and welcome our online family. 
Thanks for being here with us this morning. We're, we, we wish you were here with us, but we know that it's not always possible, and so thank you. We know some of you live in different states, and so it's a privilege to be able to serve you uh, in, in these moments. Welcome to Story City. For those of you who are new for the first time or second time, you're just checking this thing out. We're glad you're here. We'd love to get to know your story. I don't know. It's kind of in our name, so we'd love to know what your story is and more about it. Your story matters here. It's welcome here, and so we'd love to get to know you. If you have any questions for us, the next step table is always the place to find the information. Just write out the double doors on the grass or find somebody, as was mentioned before, in a pink lanyard, and they can help you with anything that you need. Uh, before we go any farther, today's going to be a little bit different. And uh, it's because a bunch of you have come and started asking me questions. I think it's the end of the year giving part. It's like, oh, what do I do with my, you know, for tax purposes and all that stuff. And so I've been getting a bunch of questions. But many of you have come not just with, hey, how do I do this or what do I do? But is tithing necessary? What is tithing? What does this mean? What's the difference between tithe and offerings? And so thank you for making this super awkward for me. But now i got to address it. Um, but you know what? It's, it's good. It, it was, as many people have been asking, then it shows that it's a real need for me to answer this question. So I'm doing this not out of a, um, you know, I'm not begging for money. I'm doing this out of a, I, I feel like a number of you have asked this question, and I want to answer it. Now, you may not be aware this is controversial. Not just controversial because we are asking people for money and talking about the church getting money. It's kind of, you know, uh, um, Self-serving in some ways for me to be preaching about it, right? It's, uh, it's a conflict of interest, but in the same way, who else is going to do it? So I get to do it. Um, but it's controversial because there's a lot of different interpretations on it. People have said, okay, we still have to tithe. The Old Testament laws still apply, and so you give. What many of them don't realize is some of you have heard the word tithe means tenth. Some of you have heard you're supposed to give a tenth of your income. But Old Testament tithing was actually somewhere around 23 to 25%. So we're implementing that today. Uh, <laughs> okay, so does that apply? Are we supposed to tithe and give offerings according to the Old Testament? Uh, is it New Testament? Is it something different? And so we're going to address that today. We're going to look. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend some time talking about what tithing and offering are, the difference between Old Testament and New Testament in terms of what it looks like for us. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what Story City does with the money and then some of our future plans and how we intend to use it. So is that, a, is that okay? Is that fair? This is what we're going to do today? Yeah. All right. You're like, I'm really glad I didn't invite my visitor's friend today. That's, you know what, though? At least we're addressing it, right? You don't have to guess and wonder what it's about. At least we're, we're, uh, we're hitting it head on, and that way you know. And uh, we don't talk about it every week, so there you go. Here's the main point. Here's what we're going to learn today. This is, I'm going to give it all away right here. The main point is that if we truly understand that we are sinners saved by grace, then we will live lives of radical generosity. That's just the truth. The truth is I don't think we, as followers of Jesus, as apprentices of Jesus, for those of you who are just checking us out, one of the things that may look confusing to you is that those of us who are followers of Jesus don't always understand what has been given to us. We don't understand the radical generosity of God because if we did, it would be so humbling we would barely be able to function. Now again, for those visitors, I, I promise we're not trying to separate you from, from your money. In fact, if you are joining us and you're not a member or not a long-time attender, don't give us money. Just don't do it. It's, it's not because we don't want your money. It's because it's, it's not about getting something from you. We believe you should be generous in all you do. We, we think you should be giving your money away. 
We think you should invest charitably in the things that you believe in. We think it's not just for the tax benefit, that you should be giving away not just your money but your time. You should be serving and backing the things that you believe in that are charitable, that are changing for the world, for the community, for your city, for your neighborhood. We think you should be doing those things. We're just saying until you're a part of us, don't give to us because it's, it's I mean, why join in our mission if it's not your mission, right? Now, we don't believe you give to a local church. We believe you give through the local church to God. So the local church has a mission. It's not the church's mission. It's God's mission. And we think that God calls us to a mission. And you think that God calls each church to a different way of that mission, which is why he allows so many different churches. It's why there's so many great churches even in Burbank, right? Churches that are working hard to honor God, honor the scriptures, to do what's right, and to change their communities for the better, to love and care for and serve those who are in need. That is what we're called to do. And so you are serving those needs by participating together collectively. So you're not giving to a local church. You're giving through the local church. And that's, that's an important part. So part of this morning, thank you. That's right. You agree with me. I get it. That's right. Uh, so part of what we're doing is just we're, we're just being open and honest so you never have to guess what we're, what we're doing what we're about. That's a big part of this, okay? If you are here, though, and you are a member, a longtime attender, and you are not tithing, this is a call to action. It's a call to say this is about uh, being a participant in what God is doing through this local congregation. That's something that's important. It's something that you should be participating in. So don't feel any guilt. This is not a guilt sermon, but it is imperative that we are being obedient. So conviction is good. Guilt is not. Amen? Amen. Good. Thank you. Amen. It's just the Christianese word for yeah, I agree. All right. All right. All right. So... <clears throat> What are we doing this today? Well, before we get to our main scripture, I think we need to understand a little bit about where tithing came from. It's obvious that in some of the questions that tithing is a little bit confusing. And so let's go there first. We're going to jump around a little bit. But I promise that when we get to the main scripture for today, the one that Brea read, that you will see how it all connects. You're going to see that God has not changed. It's the same thing. So the first time we see some sort of offering to God is in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 4, Genesis is the very first book of your Bible, and it starts in verses 3 to 7. Genesis 4, 3 to 7, it says this. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. This is always kind of a weird passage, right? Like God tells Cain, hey, if you just did the right thing, you you wouldn't be in trouble. Okay? But what did he do that was so wrong? I mean, they both brought offerings to God. Is God mad because he's a vegetarian and one brought meat and one didn't? I mean, what's the... No, it's about what portion of offering that was brought and what that represents. You see, the word here used for offering is pronounced minkah. Got it? Okay, minkah. It means a gift, a donation, a tribute, or a voluntary offering. It's literally something that they were inspired to do to bring to God something that he didn't require of them. It's a heart offering. It's supposed to be a thank you. Look at the difference, though. Cain brings some of the fruits of the soil, while Abel brings the firstborn of his flock and the best portions. Think about this for a minute. God did not require those gifts. 
So why is he upset over what was brought? I mean, those of you who have kids, you know, you, you know the saying? You get what you get. Don't be upset, that's a good one. Or be happy with it is another one, right? You get what you get is the point of this. So what is the, why does God care? Well, God cares because Cain holds back the best portions for himself. He's upset because it's a free will offering and he holds back the best for himself. God doesn't need any of it. What God wanted was Cain and Abel's appreciation for God allowing them to have any of it in the first place. I mean, we're so early on in creation story, they know that they didn't do anything to create this. They understand, right? You can, you can forgive us a couple thousand years later being like, no, I work, I make my money. Not realizing, no, there was no work until God gave it to us, and the ability to work comes from God. Our personality, our talents, our gifts, our ability allows us to make money. That comes from God. So you can claim it, but it ain't yours. But then there isn't all of this stuff that has come before. At this point, it's like God had just created the garden. They're just working something God had created. It's obvious that God created it, and they wouldn't have known how to work it if God hadn't shown them anyway. So it's much clearer at this point that this is really God's anyway. And so God doesn't want Cain's leftovers because he's basically saying, Cain is saying, I'm going to make sure I'm taken care of. And then God, now that I'm taken care of, you can have whatever's left. Abel says, God, this is all yours. The best is yours, and I'm going to live off the rest of it because you're the one that's always going to provide for me. You're the one that gave this to me in the first place. If I need more, you're going to give it to me. I, I, I can trust you with me, and so I don't need the best parts of this. This is yours. And so all of this is actually not about what they gave at all. It has nothing to do with it. The issue is not meat or vegetables. The issue is the heart behind everything. The next thing we see is Genesis chapter 14, 18 to 20. Genesis 14, 18 to 20. And uh, here Abraham and his nephew Lot, they've separated. And uh, Lot ends up um, uh, trying to take the best portions of the land for himself. Abraham's like, hey, you choose. God gave it all to Abraham. But Abraham's like, hey, we're too big to be together. You go your way, I'll go my way. You pick whatever you think is best. So Lot picks the best part of the land for himself. Uh, he ends up in trouble. He's in a, um, an area that gets raided, and he and all the townsfolk people get captured along with everything he has. And so Abram, he's not Abraham yet. Abram goes uh, to get his guys. He defeats the rebels, and he returns with all the town's possessions in tow. He comes back with all the people, all the animals, all the loot, all the plunder, and he meets this king of Salem, which is the king of peace. And the first person uh, called priest of the Most High God is this king, Melchizedek. Now, the author of Hebrews makes a big deal, and he draws comparisons between this king and Jesus. So the king blesses Abraham on behalf of God, and then Abram, sorry, gives the Lord a tenth or a tithe of everything won in battle. Take a look, Genesis 14, 18 to 20. It says, Melchizedek, a king of, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to God Most High. He blessed him and said, Abraham is blessed by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has handed over your enemies to you. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now, this giving of a tenth eventually becomes law for Israel. Uh, it becomes a requirement. And there's all kinds of things that come with it. And it's established to support the priests in their job, to take care of orphans, widows, the poor, the immigrant, the broken, and the marginalized, and eventually to provide upkeep for the temple. And so this is what gets established. In fact, the, the priests 
the caretakers of the temple, the caretakers of the word of God, are actually not given an inheritance. They're not given land in the place of Israel. Um, except collectively together, they're given cities that they are to manage and run. And their inheritance then relies on the generosity of the people. And so God says, you're going to take care of the priests. This is why I joke about this all the time, but there's a great scripture that says, throw a party. That's how you celebrate and remember God and make sure you invite your pastor. Just making sure that we remember that, keeping it in front of our minds, yeah. So as we see, uh, as we go through our scripture, though, this becomes their law. We see Israel struggle with this. We see him struggle with being faithful to the Lord. Now, because it was law, it was considered disobedience when they didn't tithe and a sign of obedience or coming back to the Lord when they reinstituted that tithe. There's several parts in Scripture uh, where you see the, that a, a prophet gets raised up or a, a judge comes in. They're like, why isn't the temple being taken care of? Why are you guys not bringing tithes into the storehouse? It's probably one of the reasons God's mad at you. And they reinstitute it. It shows his heart return back to the, the following the law, and then you see God reinst- uh, reinstate or restore his blessing on the nation of Israel. And so this is something we see over and over again. Now, the point, though, is because it becomes a law, just like everything, uh, we often misconstrue or misunderstand the reason behind that law. And so this is exactly what Israel is doing, and the prophet Micah speaks about it in Micah 6, 8. He says this, uh, I'm sorry, 6 to 8. He says, What should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow before God on high? Should I come before him with burnt offerings, with year-old calves? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000 streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offering of my body for my own sin? Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, I want to camp out here for a minute because I think you're going to see this portion sums up everything we've seen from Genesis, all the stuff we passed over. It's going to sum up the Old Testament, but it's also going to be, you're going to see this referenced. You're going to see the heart of this reference when Jesus talks about tithing later in Luke. So let's look at how Micah builds on this moment. He starts with something costly, okay? And he goes on to extreme cost. He starts with, just this one-year-old calf, that's already something that would have been expensive. Again, uh, giving up your, your livelihood, giving up your, this, this meat would have been a big deal. But he gets to 10,000 streams of oil. 10,000 streams of oil, just expensive today as it was then, right? Like, it's not cheap. That was a big deal. They traded an oil commodity, not the kind of oil we're talking about, but oil, olive oil, okay? So uh, th- this is a big deal. But then he goes into the unimaginable. And he goes, look, let's take this to the extreme. What about our children? What about our firstborn? Like, is that something, if we give the ultimate sacrifice, is that something God's going to be pleased with? And he's, he's, he's speaking in hyperbole for, for a reason, right? He's going to the extreme. He's trying to make a point here. He's not, you know, championing child sacrifice. In fact, the neighboring... Uh, uh, um, Countries that Israel, nations that Israel came into, one of the reasons God destroyed them was because they practiced child sacrifice. And so he's bringing this up not because it had never happened before, because it happened all around Israel, and Israel recognized that it was evil. But in this point, he's making a statement. He's going, look, even this crazy extreme, would God be pleased with something so costly? And then he answers his own question in the same lesson we saw in Genesis. By this statement, he says, verse 8, Mankind, what he has told each of you, 
He has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, I love this. In some versions, um, it says to love justice, but the better translation here for those words is act justly. That's a better translation. So to act justly isn't just to make just decisions. It literally means to create justice where none exists. It literally means to ensure justice is happening for those who cannot get justice on their own. And this points back to Israel's mandate to care for and provide for and to love orphans, widows, the poor, the immigrant, the broken, and the marginalized. That is a mandate from God. This word used for faithfulness means an obligation to the community. It means you are required to the community at large. One of the things we struggle with in Western Christianity is this sort of personal belief that everything applies to me personally, but the Bible is not written to me personally. The Bible was written to the Christian community, the gospel community. It was written to us as a whole. And so this applies to relatives, friends, guests, bosses, employees, and strangers. And it means that we are to show grace, kindness, and loyalty to everyone as a result of the grace shown to you by God. That's what that passage means. So Micah concludes with this call to walk in reverence, respect, and humility to God as we do it. Literally, he's saying, hey, do you see the people that are in need around you? It doesn't matter if they're a, a guest, a relative, a stranger, a family member. I love that. Sometimes family members are even harder than strangers to love, right? You guys know this season. We're talking about that. And he's saying, look, this applies to all of it. I love that it had to spell it out for us. We have to show grace, kindness, and loyalty to everyone because God has shown you that grace. It's God has modeled this for us, and therefore we model to those around us. That's exactly what God is calling us to do. This is the heart that has been there from the very, very beginning. And he says we're going to walk in this reverence, this respect, and this humility to God as we love our neighbors and those around us and as we take care of the people who need taking care of. And so all of this, he's orientating our hearts back to God. He's bringing our attention, our focus back to God. He's saying, look, the byproduct of having our hearts and minds and eyes on God is this living that looks like what we would call radical generosity. To point out that all we are to do for others is a result of understanding what God has already done for us. Now, everything we do should flow naturally out of gratitude for God and what he has done for us. That's something that we struggle with, people. We struggle with, listen, I was on a plane uh, coming back from Texas, and um, there was a, a young man in the plane going to Vegas for the very first time. He might have been pre-gaming. He was pretty obvious because he's the only one wearing a big cowboy hat in the plane, and uh, his second time to the bathroom in like 10 minutes, and the flight attendant got just heated. And she was pretty rude. Uh, and she was like, you've already been up here twice. And the cat was like, I, I got to go. She made him go back and sit down in his seat. <laughs> he came up like three more times because, again, he'd been pre-gaming. He needed to go. The guy was drunk by the time he got on the plane. There's a country song about that. I don't know. I just spent time in Texas, but <laughs> drunk on a plane. Whatever. Anyway, the point is, like, there was no empathy for the fact that this guy just really had to go to the bathroom. He wasn't trying to cause problems. The poor guy just had to go to the bathroom. But what happened was it was inconvenient for her. 
right? So she had to keep moving out of her area to open the bathroom door, and it was bothering her, and so she got mad at him. The, the point is that a lot of times our own, we struggle with understanding how gracious people have been to us. When was the last time you were dying to go to the bathroom and you're like, can I just find a place? And somebody was rude and delayed you and you're like, I just, please, I just, I'm not trying to cause problems. I just need to go. I guarantee you she has experienced that at some point in her life. But it's the moments we can't remember that because it's an inconvenience to us that we forget to be generous to other people. Now, it's a silly example, but it fits what we're trying to talk about today. God has done all of this stuff for us and we forget that, that God has done it. So God often implements rules so we don't forget the things that he doesn't want us to forget. This is why he implemented the feasts or the parties for the people of Israel. He said, I want you to remember these parties so that you never forget what I've done for you. That's why we celebrate Passover, right? It's what points us to Easter. It's, it's, it was meant to remind us of what God was going to do, and it pointed forward actually to Jesus himself, his death and the resurrection on the cross. It was this freedom from slavery, which is now the freedom we see from slavery to sin. God is always reminding us what he's done because we are so quick to forget. And so he had these rules that he implements, not so that we had to follow rules, but so that he knew we, we were always going to be forgetting this stuff. But more often than not, like us, the people remembered a party but forgot that they were celebrating God. Or they would give lip service to God, but they wouldn't really be thankful to him and they would just throw the party out obligation. We're going to have fun. I'm mandating fun at this party. As God told us we had to. There's an old saying in the military that, uh, that um, liberty will uh, be secured until morale improves. In other words, no liberty until everybody gets happy. It's like, it doesn't work that way. But this is exactly what brings up this conversation between God and the people of Israel through the prophet Micah. Israel sometimes even forgot to follow the, the, the rules at all. They would just throw them all out the window and go serve other gods. And so we see this conversation between Israel and God through the, uh, through the prophet Malachi. <clears throat> Listen to what God says to his people in Malachi 3, 8 to 10. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. That is the heart of tithing in the Old Testament. Okay? But we already talked about how there's different views and what it is. And so how does that differ for us in the New Testament? Spoiler alert, God doesn't change. This brings us back to our scripture for today in the book of Luke, chapter 11. Verses 37 to 44. <clears throat> and it says this. Luke, 30, Luke 11, 37 to 44. Helps up in the right place. As he was speaking, a Pharisee asked to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that he, meaning Jesus, did not first perform the ritual washing before dinner. This isn't about washing your hands, right? It's not like he's worried about COVID. This is about like the three times you have to wash and the pitcher and the way it has to be done. You'll see it for those of you going to Israel. Hopefully those of you going to Israel. Um, uh, you'll see it uh, in, when, when uh, the certain restrooms before you eat, there's, there's certain pitchers that are blessed and uh, kosher. And so you have to wash your hands. Uh, three separate times in order to do this. And so he, Jesus doesn't perform that ceremony. And so this guy is frustrated. <clears throat> but the Lord said to him, Now, 
You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Fools. Didn't he who made the outside make the inside too? Verse 41. But give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean to you. It's very interesting that Jesus is challenging, hand-washing, and relating it to giving from within to the poor. Why does he do that? Let's keep going. But woe to you Pharisees, you give a tenth, a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and love for God. Do you see the reference? Those things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, you love the front seat of the synagogues and greeting in marketplaces. Woe to you, you are like unmarked graves, people walk over them and don't know it. This whole section is not actually about giving, but he uses giving because he's trying to show that they have all of these rules that they're trying to follow. And he says, just like the feast and everything else, you guys have missed the point. You're so trying to follow the law, but you don't know why the law exists. And your heart has nothing to do with it. Your heart's not there. Don't I care about what your heart is doing? Do you think I care? Don't you think I care more about what's going on, on the inside than what's on the outside? That's why he makes a point about hand washing. He goes, do you think... God created only the outside, not the inside of you? Like, you guys are, are trying to be all clean on the outside. You've missed the heart behind everything. And what's happening here is Jesus is basically saying, and this is one of the big controversies he had with the Pharisees, is he's refu- refusing to follow the Mishnah, which is the oral law that they had added in addition to the Torah or the written law. Now, over time, the religious leaders added more and more laws to keep people from coming close to even sinning. Well, that's really close. Let's just back up a bit from there. If we make the law here, you'll never even get close to that. But in the end, the rules became more important than the reason for the rules or the heart behind it. And Jesus is like, you're, you're more in love with the rules than you are with the one whose the rules are made to keep you close to. He sums this up in Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Jesus says, He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it or equal to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says in verse 40, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. And in other words, everything can be summed up or fit into these two commands. If you lived out these two commands to the fullest extent of their meaning, you would be following the entire law of the Old Testament. The law and the prophets. What did the prophets say? Verse 8, mankind, he's told you what's good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. And bring the full tenth into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. This is exactly what Jesus is saying in verses 41 and 42. Exactly. But give from what is within to who? To the poor. And everything is clean for you. Now, again, when he uses the word the poor, there is an assumption with it that goes all the mandated people. So not just the poor, the broken, the marginalized, the immigrant, the stranger, the foreigner, the widow, the orphan, the poor. All of it is together. That's what's assumed when this word is written. And then he says, look, you Pharisees, you give a tenth. You tithe down to the stuff in your garden, but you're not caring. What is he accusing them of? You're not caring about justice. You're not caring about God? He's pointing right back to that verse in Malachi. He's saying you still should have given, right? He says these you should have done without neglecting the others. He's not saying 
give up tithing altogether. He's saying, hey, you do that, but you do it with the right heart. This is what I'm trying to get for you is it's about your heart. In Jesus' death and resurrection, though, he becomes the fulfillment of the law. And so this is why we've talked about this before. We don't have to follow the, uh, the ceremonial law. Jesus already showed us that. We're not having to do the ceremonial hand washing. We don't have to follow the sacrificial law because Jesus was sacrificed once and for all. That's why we're not offering a, a lamb up here this morning. Right? <clears throat> it's done. We do follow the moral law. Right? Thou shalt not kill, covet, Right? Those are things that we still follow because Jesus said those don't pass away. But the rest of it goes away. It's fulfilled inside of Jesus. And how does it get fulfilled inside of Jesus? Because we follow the prophets, what Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's how we fulfill the rest of those laws. And so then if that's fulfilled, then the, the amounts go away. And what is left? The command to have a right heart attitude when you give. As I pointed out before in the Old Testament, if you look at the actual giving num- numbers, somewhere between 22 and 26% as a requirement. But Jesus says that the heart issue is more important than simply fulfilling giving a tenth. You see, nothing has changed from Genesis to the Gospels. It's the same heart issue that's there. The author of Hebrew invokes the story of Abraham tithing to Melchizedek, even as the book of Hebrew discusses how we're not under the law anymore. So it's interesting that he brings that story up. William Barclay writes, there's an inherent sense of continuity in Hebrews 7 connecting Abraham's tithe to the tithes the Levites received and gave under the Mosaic Covenant. This is, a, this is striking in a letter intent on showing aspects of the Old Covenant that no longer apply to the New Covenant believers. Yet far from revealing discontinuity, Hebrews leaves the impression that Christians will also tithe to their eternal high priest. So what does this practically look like for us if we're not supposed to give a required amount anymore. And Paul answers this, I believe, in the book of 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 9, 5 to 8, Paul says this, Therefore, I considered it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promised so that it would be ready as a gift and not as an exhortation, extortion. Excuse me. The point is this. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he, has desired, as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Now, we could spend a lot more time going deeper on that portion, but here's the point, that what God requires of us is the same attitudes and actions of generosity that come out of love for God and appreciation for what he's done and already given to us. And God takes that heart seriously because he always takes the intention of the heart seriously. What God has always wanted is not our money. God doesn't need it. He created it. He doesn't need it. What he wants, though, is our hearts that do give generously. And so Jesus hits his head on when he talks in Matthew 6 and says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. In other words, what God is saying is, I want you to give to me because you care, because you love me, because you care for the orphans, the widows, and the poor, because you love me and you're grateful for what I've done, that's loving God, because you care about seeing the world changed around you, that's loving your neighbors, that's what God cares about. And so that's manifest when we give away of ourselves. Not just money, but it does include money, to be awkward about it. Which brings us full circle to our point for today. 
if we truly understand that we're sinners saved by grace, you can't help but live lives of radical generosity. See, the Bible says that we were rescued from slavery to sin and death, not by our own actions or our belief, but by God's actions, even the faith that he provided us, that we don't have faith in our own. God gave it to us before we earned it or deserved it. That he's been incredibly generous to us despite the fact that we chose to sin and therefore become his enemies. And what does he ask in return for this incredible generosity to us? Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what is the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's it. That's it. That's what God requires of us. Now, that's the message for today. But I want to share a little bit. I don't want to confuse this with Scripture. So I want to talk a little bit about Story City and, uh, and just share a little bit about what we do with your money. I, I don't know if you know this, but we don't ever ask anybody to give without us as an organization giving. And so we give away 10% of the income that we get from you. Most of that goes to church planting efforts. Uh, we actually give to two specific organizations that help us. Uh, we give to the Send Network and to Vintage Mission Networks. We help them plant churches and they help us plant churches. So we give away a portion, uh, like Vintage Mission last year gave us $10,000 to help us start the Granada location. Right? That's less than we gave them for the entire year, but they gave us back in return. And part of that is because that's what we're doing. We're partnering with other churches to make sure that we are able to plant churches. Uh, but beyond church planting, I don't know if you know this, but some of our money goes into benevolence. There are always people in our congregation that are hurting, that are in need. We will always provide food, clothing, and shelter to those who need it. Uh, we're currently building relationships with local entities to do that. For instance, we just entered into a relationship, really excited about this, with um, community outreach food bank in Sun Valley and uh, they were asking how we could partner and so we created a program super excited we hope other churches do this too but we're we are pre-buying gift certificates so they have a um, they don't just give away food to people in need they do that but they have a supermarket so that those who uh, uh, want to make sure that they can keep their dignity aren't feeling like they're getting something for nothing can go in and shop the supermarket at deeply discounted prices and feel like they're retaining that. And so one of the things that we're doing is we are pre-buying um, uh, vouchers. And so we'll give those vouchers away. You can use those as cash in there. So anybody, if you need it or anybody you know needs food, you can go purchase food at a deeply discounted price. It's through their supermarket. That's one of the things we are super excited about. And we're happy to do that. Monique. My wife is uh, in charge of care and counseling here. And so um, if you want to know more about that, email Monique at storycitychurch.com or see somebody at the Next Steps table. We'll get you more info on that. We've got a whole bunch of stuff like that. But here's two more unique ones I want to share with you. In January, we're bringing a team down to Costa Rica to work with Residents of Life. And Residents of Life is a ministry that provides housing, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual care to foster care and adoption kids. Most of those kids have been sex trafficked. Most of them are either um, have come from such violent places they'll never be able to come out of the system until they graduate the system, or um, they are um, physically or mentally disabled. It's where they're not going to get, it's very unlikely they'll get adopted through the traditional circumstances. And so they have two homes. They're looking to expand to a third home. In each home, you have um, like a group mom that's always there with them, living with them. But you have a psychiatrist who is with them. And, uh, and so we're going down. To, to not only care for the staff who really gets time off, but they don't have any way to fundraise. And so we don't have a ton of money, but you know what we do have? We have talents, gifts, and abilities in this church. 
And so we're going to bring a film crew down and we're going to shoot a documentary that they're going to be able to use as a fundraising effort for the next decade or so. And so what an incredible way that our church gets to partner using what we do have to bless those who don't have. And so we're super excited about that. In the same way, we want to do something very similar with the food bank. We want to be able to create an even nicer supermarket to upgrade so it looks something that looks nice, like a normal supermarket when you go in there. We would love to be able to see that happen, but that only comes with bigger partnerships, which comes when we are able to tell those stories. And there's incredible, incredible stories. Okay. Um, one of the last things is we got we, we got so many. One of the last things is we are right now working with a, a major investor and a couple other people. And we are hoping to create, for the first time, a one-stop shopping center for foster care and adoption. We're trying to build a building and, uh, and have everything you need under one roof uh, in Sun Valley. We are working right now. It's a multi-million dollar project. Uh, we are working with our investment partners and connections and trying to see what we can do. We have a program outlined. We are looking forward to, um, to getting that up and running in the next number of years. That's something we're super, super excited about. And ultimately, we dream to see this place torn down, all three buildings that we have here, and this become a place that meets the needs of our community, that's built so that this isn't just our church, but a place the community needs to come to, loves to come to because of all the things that we have here for them. And so that's a lot of the stuff that we are doing, going to do, and our future dreams. There's a lot more about that and what that could potentially look like, but we at least wanted to share with you what your money goes to. Okay. We do okay this morning? I know it's an awkward morning, but all right. Hopefully now you know the heart of what's behind it. Let's pray, and we will move on with this morning. Father, thank you for all that you have done for us. I thank you for your generosity to us. You are so gracious, and not because we've earned it, not because you've looked down in future history and said, well, this person is going to make the right choices, but you allowed us to belong before we believed. We thank you, Lord. We believe in you. Help us in our unbelief. In Jesus' name.